Dr. McCoy? Aye, sir. Mr. Scott? Aye, sir. Mahura? Aye, sir. Checo? Aye, sir. Sulu? Aye, sir. Let the records show that the commander and the crew of the late Starship Enterprise have voted unanimously to return to Earth to face the consequences of their actions in the rescue of their comrade, Captain Spock. You have traveled from whenever and wherever you are to join us for the Pool Scene Podcast. We sincerely thank you for that. As you may have noticed, around here at the Pool Scene Podcast, we try to follow a bit of a pattern, but we also like to shake things up and keep it new. This week, we cover a movie that I haven't seen. Well, hadn't seen until I just watched it right before recording this. Not only had I not seen it, I haven't seen any of the movies in this series that preceded it. And before we mention what that movie is, I'm Kevin Bradway. I'm joined by... Starfleet Admiral Jim Sabella. Live long and prosper, Jim. That's Captain, not so much Admiral. Okay. Uh, what's up, pool sceners? Before we start, we put a little teaser on our Instagram and our Facebook page of guess what movie we're going to cover, and a big shout-out to my brother for all I've known my entire life, Brian, for guessing the actual movie. And congratulations, you won the shout-out this week, Mr. Brian Sanford of Cortland, Ohio. Kevin, back to you. I didn't see that somebody got it. I saw some... I got a DM. Okay. I saw uh, Free Willy. Free Willy. Which like, also with has whales. I was afraid. Well, I kind of put that picture up thinking, okay, people will get that it's what we were yeah. covering. But people weren't utilizing that picture no, at all. No, you could, in my mind... I which mean, was I, great. I was fine yeah, with that. Yeah, no. But that picture doesn't really look like Shatner. He looks... <sighs> a little weird. We watched Star Trek Four. The Voyage Home, released in 1986, directed by Leonard Nimoy, preceded by the original Star Trek series, the Star Trek animated series, three movies, and then followed by two more movies in this series, which you say actually is the original. The original cast from the original series had six movies. Yeah. So the original. But they were. There was a trilogy within those six movies. There was the motion picture, which was a spinoff. There was going to be a secondary TV series because once Star Trek got canceled, Star Trek conventions were cropping up and people loved Star Trek. So they were going to make a series. So they were accepting scripts. So three scripts was melded into one movie. Then Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Then The Search for Spock and Voyage Home. Two, three, and four were its own trilogy within the six. It was a continuing story. Okay, I, that makes enough sense. After that, we're followed by Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, new Star Trek movies. Enterprise. Enterprise. Enterprise was the series after Voyager that kind of shit. Okay, the and then there's some new Star Trek movies. The reboots. And then there's a new show, too, is there not? There are a couple new shows. There's Star Trek Discovery. There's Star Trek Picard. Star Trek Lower Decks that just came out, which is their new adult-themed animated series. And there's going to be two Star Trek animated shows for kids on Nickelodeon. Now, when we were watching this, you gave me a piece of information that I never knew. So, Fans of the original Star Trek shit are Trekkies. Trekkies. Fans starting with the next generation, Trekkers. Trek, tre I'm a Trekker. I came on board at the tail end of Star Trek The Next Generation, so I'm considered a Trekker. Okay. Before we boldly go into this one, 
Jim, give us the deets about budget, box office, as well as tell us how we were living in 1986. Okay, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, came out on November 21st, 1986, with a $21 million budget, and it made $133 million at the box office. After the week this debuted, it became the number one movie for a couple weeks. In the news, on November 13th, President Reagan confesses weapon sales to Iran, which ended up becoming the Iran-Contra affair. In sports, two big sports things happen. 20-year-old Mike Tyson becomes the youngest heavyweight champion in history when he stops Trevor Burbick in the second round to earn the WBC title at the Las Vegas Hilton. And Kevin's number one favorite sport, the Canadian Football League, the Grey Cup at BC Place in Vancouver, the Hamilton Tiger Cats defeated the Edmonton Used to be called Eskimos, now the Edmonton football team. 39-15 to for Al Bruno's second Grey Cup win. Like, like I said last week, uh, when the Arena Bowl happened, I remembered exactly where I was. Same thing with the Grey Cup. I knew exactly where I was as a two- or three-year-old. We shut down in America for the Grey Cup. We did. The number one song in America, just for this past week we covered this movie, was Human by the Human League. Hmm. Kind of a, re- you know... Human League was kind of on its way out, but they hit number one. And the number one movie, I look back on this now and I have to laugh, for nine consecutive yeah, weeks I, I actually was knew. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, I actually knew that. I was going to say. Never seen if, it. If you didn't say what this movie unseated, it was a nine-week reign of terror by Paul Hogan by Paul Hogan and his knives. His knives. Okay. Yeah, that's what was going on in the 86s. Great. Thank you, Jim. So my dad was a bit of a Trekkie, except... I don't know if he was actually a Trekkie or a Trekker. I remember a lot of um, him watching Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. So that would make him a Trekker, but I'm guessing... Did he watch it as a kid? Uh, he must have. I mean, okay. my dad was born in 47. So odds so. are he was probably a Trekkie. He was probably a Trekkie. Yes. What if you liked both? And you couldn't decide, were you a Trekkier? There was never a delineation. It was just when you jumped on. I had never seen any Star Trek movie in this series, as I mentioned. I had seen two of the newer Star Trek movies, the Chris Pine ones. Uh, So this should be interesting for me to discuss. And I do want you to chime in and correct me or fill us in anywhere that I may be missing information about the plot of Star Trek for the voyage home. That's a, that's a deadly task for me to ask because I used to make amendments into the Star Trek encyclopedia with new episodes. So here we go. (laughs) In 2286, the crew of the USS enterprise are living in exile on planet Vulcan. Why are they living in exile, Jim? They are living in exile because they stole a Klingon bird of prey at the end of Star Trek 3 and because of what they did after disobeying orders, stealing the Enterprise, and destroying the Enterprise willingly, they have to face the music and head back to Earth. Okay. So ultimately, they receive a distress call. Does it kind of not say, stay the fuck away from Earth? They give out a planetary distress signal saying any ship stay away from Earth because your ships will be rendered neutralized. Okay. No power. So as you mentioned, they have a starship that they had stolen in Star Trek 3, which again, I had not seen. And from this distress signal, Spock recognizes that it is a song of humpback whales, which I'm going to ask you in logic because I'm like, how does Spock know that this is whales? They don't know what whales are, but Spock's like, oh, yeah, those are whales. Yeah, Vulcans should not know because 
whole backstory is Spock had to be is so. I don't know how to explain this to layman's. It's so difficult being a Star Trek fan. Spock, spoilers, died at the end of Star Trek Two. His body died. He put his soul, which Vulcans refer to as his Katra, into Doctor McCoy. So what they have to do is get Spock's Katra out of McCoy's head and put back into Spock. Inevitably, that does happen. So Spock has to relearn everything. He doesn't remember much of the past. He's being retaught by the Vulcan way of things. So he's basically learning everything of Vulcan history and human history, which apparently involves whale song, which is weird. Yeah, that is a little strange. The crew kind of take it upon themselves to fix this since Spock is able to recognize that what this alien pro... So this alien probe is going to destroy the Earth if it doesn't get what it's looking for, but nobody can really understand what it's looking for. So they're in a between a rock and a hard place. The only thing they kind of can distinguish is the signal from the whale probe is aimed at the oceans. That's the only thing. So again, Spock recognizes what they want, and the crew take it upon themselves to time travel by slingshotting around the sun. Their plan being to return to 1986 and bring back two humpback whales 300 years into the future. The time travel kind of kills the ship, so a couple of the crew members need to find a nuclear reactor to juice up their ride for the eventual return home. Nuclear vessels. Yes. So at the t- I don't think they thought any of that through. They just figured, let's get back to the 1986. Is that when they were shooting for specifically? I don't know. They, they want to shoot back to the time in which they left. Yeah. yeah. So, But 86, yeah, they just basically was, we. there's humpback whales in the latter half of the 20th century. And you think film-wise, budget-wise, they filmed this in San Francisco in 1986. Easiest, cheapest way to do it. Yeah. So they return back to 1986. And Kirk and Spock find some whales at, it's not an aquarium, what, what do you call it? The Cetacean Institute. Cetacean Institute. And learn that these whales will soon be released back into the wild. How convenient. Oh, you return perfect. to 1986, you see a sign on a bus that says, we got whales here. Yep. They go to that place. Spock swims with some whales, finds out one of them's pregnant. How convenient. <laughs> and here's two whales. They're going to be released in the wild. Perfect. We just need... Excellent timing. We just need a way to get the whales onto the ship. And then go back to our time. We're good. Big bang, boom. So the whales are released early. A lot of other stuff happens between here. Ton of shit. Yeah. Like, uh. There's subplots. Yeah. McCoy. McCoy and Scotty giving Dr. Nichols, who works at Plexicor. You uh, realize, of course, if we give him the formula, we're altering the future. Why? How do we know he didn't invent the thing? The formula to transparent aluminum, which might alter the future, but they said, ah, fuck it. He might have done it anyway. Chekhov invades the USS Enterprise. Ironically. A Navy ship. Yep. Commander Pavel Chekhov, Starfleet, United Federation of Planets. All right, Commander. Is there anything you want to tell us? Like what? Like who you really are and what you're doing here and what these, these things here are. I am Pavel Chekhov, a commander in Starfleet, United Federation of Planets, service number 656-5827B. All right. Let's take it from the top. The top of what? Name. My name? No, my name. I do not know your name. You play games with me, mister, and you're through. I am? May I go now? 
that has a nuclear reactor or something and he's russian yep which is perfect it's only the cold war in, 19, so. in 1986 you yeah. got a russian going around asking for nuclear vessels <laughs> so all of that stuff happens between the whales are released early so in one there's going to be a media circus if these whales are released because everybody knows they're going to be released and the doctor who's in charge of the whales they think it'll be easier on her if she doesn't have to say goodbye and cut them loose kevin's favorite actor katherine hicks yes katherine hicks the whales released early they're almost caught by poachers which is really convenient because the poachers just like it's like they see them getting released or from something. san francisco to alaska yes. like that but the crew you know are our heroes they rescue the whales they bring them aboard they return to present day along with uh the doctor from the aquarium and use the whales to answer the signal they don't use the whales to answer the signal they release the whales and the, and whales, the whales answer the yes signal. At, uh, all the members of the crew were facing charges back on Earth, which you said... They were charged with conspiracy, violating a direct order from a superior officer, theft of Federation property, which was the USS Enterprise, willful destruction of Federation property, the aforementioned USS Enterprise. But for saving Earth, all the charges are dropped. Except ex one. Except for Kirk, who is demoted to captain. But it's kind of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Because by being demoted to captain, he gets his own starship. Yep. Ends up being the newly rebuilt or newly built. The new Enterprise. The yep. new Enterprise. So with that said, let's get into our characters. We have William Shatner as James T. Kirk with a heck of a hairpiece. <laughs> we have Leonard Nimoy as Spock. He's an American man who doesn't always look American. <laughs> I, I, I never understood. You don't think he looks? He lo doesn't look American. He doesn't look American. He looks, uh, he's Nimoyish. Forrest Kelly as McCoy, George Takei as Sulu, Walter Koenig as Chekhov, Nichelle Nichols as Uhura, Big Bush, Catherine <laughs> Hicks as <laughs> Doctor Jillian Taylor. So, Jim, um, what uh, actor or actress gives a... So, this one's a little tough. This We ask this question every week. These are all the usual suspects, with the uh, exception of Catherine Hicks as Dr. Jillian Taylor. And I hope that you don't say that she gives the best performance, because no. it's terrible. No, it's not. It, it would have to be Spock. For the whole fact is he's relearning everything. He's relearning all the things that he came to know from Kirk and his shipmates. He, throughout this whole movie, is trying to fit in. Like, he's trying... In this movie, which was big when it was released at the time, they swear in this movie. In Star Trek, you don't, there's no swearing in Star Trek. In the future, human, mankind, any kind, is kind of gone past Kirk, swearing. Kirk is, like, loving it. He oh, get, he double gets, dumbass. He gets and, there. Yeah, he calls somebody a double dumbass. double dumbass because they call him a dumbass for walking out into traffic <laughs> so he slaps on the hood and he says double dumbass it's just good so then uh kirk tells spock you gotta fit in you gotta swear a bunch colorful metaphors yes. as he puts it so spock likes to say for a while there he would say hell with every sentence and kirk says hey why don't you lay off it you don't get the knack of it spock yes about those colorful metaphors that we've discussed i don't think you should try using them anymore why not? Well, for one thing, you haven't quite got the knack of it. I see. And another thing, it's not always necessary to tell the truth. I cannot tell a lie. I don't mean lie. But you could exaggerate. Exaggerate? Exaggerate. You've done it before. Can't you remember? The hell, I can't. By the end of the movie, he kind of gets the knack of it, but 
he basically says damn he doesn't say like shit or anything i really enjoyed this movie despite i mean having a lack of understanding of what exactly was going on in context but everybody it's Weird that I enjoyed it because everybody's terrible. It's not like I told you. It's not a traditional Star Trek movie where you really have to get into the universe, yeah. the, the knowledge. But you e- don't miss but one. But even that said, I mean, whether it's a standalone movie or a movie in a series, usually for a movie to be enjoyable, I mean, it can be like what I like, which is where a movie's so bad that it's good. I like those. But this movie's not. This is a, a good movie with... Out the presence of a good performance. It's a lighthearted Star Trek movie because yeah. Star Trek two and three were just an emotional roller coaster. I mean, so this any, is a nice lighthearted. Was anybody good in those? Oh my god! Start like I said, Star Trek two with the Wrath of Khan is probably the best overall Star Trek movie. Shatner sucked. Shatner is Shatner. His acting's bad. Catherine Hicks is bad. I mean, the rest of the cast are fine, but they just they don't have enough that I'd say like, oh, that's really good performance you know mccoy and scotty like none of them are like making up a beef of of the the lines so i just nobody really gives a good performance other than i i like george takei just staring blankly into space well the one thing i told you that a lot of people don't know shatner chopped a lot of people off the knees the companies specifically paramount shatner had a lot of a i want this, 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 and that in order for you to have me as Kirk. He, a lot of his castmates did not like working with him because he was a power-hungry asshole. I'm not mad at him for that. I yeah. mean, you see that a lot of strong-arming, but I mean, everybody else was kind of just like, F this guy. Yeah. Uh, with that said, let's move to best scenes. Jim, would you like to go first or you want you want to hear my... Hear yours because I could, I could, this whole movie could be a best all scene right. for I me. I like all the stuff in 1986 San Francisco. Oh, it's perfect. I mean, everything in the spaceship is star trek as i know it and that's fine but when they land in san francisco it's you got the the fish out of water thing culture shock yeah pardon the pun the fish out of water but you've got uh, the vulcan neck pinch to a punk on a public bus Yes, the guy who the song that's being played by him is literally the song the guy recorded, the punk Kirk Thatcher. That's yeah, his and name. if you haven't if you haven't seen this movie, I mean, just imagine stereotypical '80s punk rocker mohawk, studded jacket. He's playing his uh, ghetto blaster on the bus too loud, but they ask him to turn it down, and he won't. He turns it up. So Spock gives them the Vulcan neck pinch and everybody claps. You've got them walking in traffic, like we said, when uh, it's funny because they're all wearing their full getup. They're all Spock ties. <laughs> he rips off a piece of his robe and ties it around his head like a headband. So he doesn't look alien. Yes. <laughs> and uh, too late. You have. I didn't understand this part, but it was funny where Kirk has a pair of glasses that are from the, what, 18th century? They're 18th century glasses. They're 18th century eyeglasses that they take into a pawn shop. Yes, um, 18th century American. Quite valuable. 
Are you sure you want to part with them? How much would you give me for them? Excuse me. Weren't those a birthday present from Dr. McCoy? And they will be again. That's the beauty of it. How much? Well, they'd be worth more if the lenses were intact. I'll give you $100. Is that a lot? Hmm. And he pawns him. And the guy goes, uh, if the lenses were there or if the lenses were in better condition, I'd give you more money. He says, I can give you a hundred bucks. And Kirk says, is that good? You know, which is always the best question. <laughs> they don't have any concept shot. of money in the future. So those are, my, that's my first thing that jumped out. I've got a couple others, but why don't we go ahead and uh, pitch to you? Okay. So one of my favorite scenes, I have so many scenes in this movie that are just excellent. The one that stands out to me is when they go to the Cetacean Institute and Spock takes it upon himself to just jump in the water. All right, who the hell are you? What were you doing in there? Yeah, speak up, though. Attempting the hell to communicate. Communicate? Communicate what? You have no right to be here. You heard the lady. Admiral, if we were to assume that these whales are ours to do with as we please, we would be as guilty as those who caused their extinction. Okay. I don't know what this is all about, but I want you guys out of here right now or I call the cops. I assure you that won't be necessary. We're only trying to help. The hell you were, Buster. Your friend was messing up my tanks and messing up my whales. They like you very much, but they are not the hell your whales. I, I suppose they've told you that, huh? The hell they did. They're on this tour going through the Cetacean Institute because Spock and Kirk also need to learn about humpback whales because they don't exist in the 23rd century. So there's this one scene, and I used it as the capture of guess what this movie we're covering this week. It's just a shot of everybody looking up at this tank, but you don't see the tank because it's in the background. And then you just capture Spock swimming but if it wasn't for the old lady acknowledging that yeah. maybe they're maybe they're singing to that man are you telling me they would just walk right on by and go I, oh i guess I he works there benefit of the doubt and maybe believe that that he works there but it's literally like 50 people probably yeah on a tour the tour guide uh which is dr jillian here she's got her back to the tank and she's facing the crowd and the crowd's just watching this guy hang on to a whale as it swims by the window and nobody questions it until one lady's like, Oh, what's like, what's he doing? <laughs> and then she loses her shit. Oh, big time. And she stomps upstairs and tries to demand who they are. Actually that whole scene, there's a, a couple things that jump out and it ties in. Cause I had that written as well. When they first get on this tour, they all have to watch a video of whales being cut up. Oh, it's yeah, it's gory. I mean, whales are getting lit up. They yeah, they they stop all 50 of them stop in front of this monitor and tell you the history of humpback whales being near extinction, which ties into the whole yeah, idea of this plot. movie. But it's like, here's us cutting some blubber off of one of these whales. Yeah, big time. It, it's they don't tell us why the whales are being poached, just showing us graphic like PETA like footage of the whales yeah, being poached. Probably don't want to eat after that. No, and that's the funny yeah. thing, yeah. And then following the scene at the Institute, the lady just can't drop the doctor. She cannot drop that these two guys were there. They were very weird, wearing weird clothes. Spock got in the tank with the whale. She's the Sherlock Holmes of cetacean biologists. Yeah, so she's like, there's something up with these guys. They, she calls them kooks. <laughs> as we watch a guy water a bench in the background, <laughs> he's trying to grow a larger bench. I just, there's a lot of eye candy in the background of this movie. Tons of green screen. She tracks them down, like Jim said, Sherlock Holmes. She drives an old truck, which we'll get to in logic. Oh, big time. But she catches up with them, and they've got a very interesting scene. Do you have that sound clip queued up? Yep, here it is. Back in the 60s, he was part of the free speech movement at Berkeley. 
I think you did a little too much LDS. LDS? Mm. Come on, why don't you let me give you a lift? I have a notorious weakness for hard luck cases. That's why I work with whales. We don't want to be in any trouble. You've already been that. Come on. Well, thank you very much. Don't mention it. And don't try anything either. I got a tire iron right where I can get at it. So, you were at uh, Berkeley? I was not. Memory problems, too. Oh. What about you? Where are you from? Iowa. Oh, landlubber. Come on, what the hell were you guys really trying to do back there? It wasn't some kind of macho thing, was it? Because if that's all, I'll be real disappointed. I really hate that macho stuff. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> Go ahead. What's going to happen when you release the whales? They're going to have to take their chances. What does that mean exactly, take their chances? It means that they will be at risk from whale hunters the same as the rest of the humpbacks. What did you mean when you said all that stuff back at the Institute about extinction? I meant that... He meant what you said on the tour. That if things keep going the way they are, the humpbacks will disappear forever. Oh, that's not what he said, farm boy. Admiral, if we were to assume those whales are ours to do with as we pleased, we would be as guilty as those who caused, past tense, their extinction. I have a photographic memory. I see words. Are you sure it isn't time for a colorful metaphor? You're not one of those guys from the military, are you? Trying to teach whales to retrieve torpedoes or some dipshit stuff like that? No, ma'am, no dipshit. Well, good. That's one thing I would have let you off right here. Gracie is pregnant. All right, who are you? And don't jerk me around anymore. I want to know how you know that. We can't tell you that. But, but if, if you let me finish, I can tell you that we're not in the military. And we intend no harm towards the whales. Then what do in you fact, we may be able to help you in ways that, frankly, you couldn't possibly imagine. Or believe, I'll bet. Very likely. You're not exactly catching us at our best. That much is certain. I have a hunch that we'd all be a lot happier discussing this over dinner. What do you say? You guys like Italian? No. Yes. Yeah, no. no. Yes. No. Yes. I love Italian. And so do you. Yes. And so ultimately, they're having a conversation. If they were going to say the words of who and what they were, she's not going to believe them anyway. So they talk about what they're going to get for dinner and so on. So that whole scene is good because... <laughs> I love that scene in the truck. She does. She sees Spock as some sort of weirdo, like what the hell's going on? And then Shatner rolls up right into the window and goes, I think he did a little too much LDS back yeah, in the LDS. 60s. LDS, yeah. which is excellent. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then uh, the other one, my, my last best scene, and you can talk about as many as you want, but my last best scene is the actual dinner. So <laughs> they... In this scene, they argue back and forth of whether they like Italian or not. Box says no. Yes. Kirk says yes. No. Yeah, it's yeah. just a yes. It's like a Rain Man thing. Kirk and the doctor go to the nicest pizza restaurant. It is top notch. It's like uh, white table, white napkins need a tie, but it's pizza. She orders a gross pizza and a Michelob. <laughs> With a Michelob. And I don't think Kirk knows what to order, so he orders the same thing. Smart. And as you said... They don't have alcohol. In the 20... Narrative alert. In the 23rd century, there is no alcohol. Alcohol is not permitted within the Federation. You can get Romulan ale and stuff like that on other planets, but within the Federation, there's a thing called synthahol. It kind of tastes like alcohol, not totally, but you won't get any of the after effects. Going to a synthahol party tonight. <laughs> uh, was there a specific event that led to that decision? No, it's just mankind just became a better 
better race. Determine that alcohol and money. There's no money. Yeah. There's no alcohol. Nothing. So at dinner, Kirk tells Doctor Jillian. Doctor Jillian Taylor. Doctor Jillian Taylor tells Doctor Jillian Taylor with a G his deal. I am from what on your calendar would be the late 23rd century. I've come back in time to bring two humpback whales with me in an attempt to repopulate the species. Well, why didn't you just say so? I mean, why all the coy disguises? We're from uh, 300 years in the future. We want your whales to repopulate you need the to species. Give me the frequency so that I can beam these whales up to my ship. And she doesn't really buy it. She just goes along with it. Yeah. She's la- we find out she's kind of a lonely person. Yeah, she is. She laughs at him. She doesn't believe him. She drops him off in the park and says, if I want to find you, where would it be? And he says, here <laughs> at the park in the dark, just walk off into nothing. Yeah, and she kind of gets a glimpse of him being beamed up, but... She sees a light, but doesn't know where the hell he went to. Yes, exactly. So I I like that scene. The pizza scene. uh, Kirk holding his pizza vertically is really great. Holds it like an album. Yeah, he doesn't know. So he's (laughs) holding this pizza box up vertically which is a nice touch yeah i like that scene the dinner scene is just funny it's good he uh he answers she says you have a pocket pager and then he just answers it like like if it was a pocket pager just two-way contact See, like I, a walk i like old before st- like cell phone or cellular phone and pocket pager pocket pager. not just you have a pager are you a doctor she just says you have a pocket pager. Now, I can remember my first job at Ponderosa Steakhouse. This is 1998. A couple of the cooks had pagers that had sports scores. And I remember trying to ask my parents, can I get a pager? Because I want the sports scores. That's all I wanted it for. Never ended up getting a pager. I had a pager. It was dumb. I mean, pagers were dumb technology. It was kind of pointless. They filled the gap between cell phones, early sidekicks, and what are those things called? Blackberries. And it was basically, oh, somebody's paging me. I need to find a payphone right yeah, now. Well, exactly. That's all it was. And exactly. And it was always like, I'd be at the mall with my friends, and it's 69, 69, 24-7, <laughs> No, when I was 12, I wasn't getting uh, 60, time to go to Woolworth. 69. Uh, yeah, you're getting 69. To twelve, good job, buddy. <laughs> no, <laughs> holy uh, shit. Yeah, meet me by the hamsters in the Woolworths. <laughs> um, did you have any scenes that you want to talk about? Still, oh, I, being I've seen this movie fifteen hundred times, it's so hard for me to narrow down any couple scenes because this whole movie, I, it's one of my favorite Star Trek movies. It is just so lighthearted. It doesn't have that take of. Like, okay, they need to save the planet, but at not one point do you think the whale probe is threatening in any way, even though it is ionizing your water and atmosphere. I don't take it like a serious threat, like the Borg or anything. Yeah. No, there's, I could go on forever about this, so I'm just going to just watch, watch the movie, people. Watch the movie. Okay, with that said, it's almost that time. Go ahead and blow the whistle. Bull check! All right, bear with us again this week. If you don't know, if you're joining us for the first time, we cover music videos of the year of the movie we're covering. So that was a mouthful. This uh, movie is from 1986. We're going to talk about our favorite music videos from 1986. In the case of a year that we've already done, we'll do something else. This week, we haven't done a 1986 movie, so we're going to do our favorite music videos from that year. However, you got to bear with us because... 
Some of the songs were released the year before the video. Some of the videos were released, and then the song wasn't released on an album for two more years. It is what it is. So we'll do our best based on the information we have. We were toddlers in 1986. All right, Jim, do you want to go first, or you want me to go? I'll go first. Okay. My number five this week, Howard Jones, No One, No One is to blame which i deem the married couple that gets divorced you drop the kids off at mcdonald's for the mutual exchange song that's what this song to me is we saw one of those a couple days ago at the starbucks and it always kind of makes me sad to watch a child get passed between vehicles or whatever It's 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 awkward meet me at the starbucks you know, it's... But don't you imagine this song being like yeah. that song playing... Like, yeah. No one is to blame here. We love you. We just couldn't figure shit out. Yeah. So it's... that's that's What's the thing. What's the video? The vi- it's your typical, you know, your typical 80s video. There's really not much to it. It's just Howard Jones, who I think is completely underrated. Howard Jones is an amazing, an amazing voice, in my opinion. Not, not Richard... Not Howard Jones from Kill Switch Engage. Not Howard Jones from Kill Switch Engage. Don't get this guy confused with Howard Johnson, a hotel guy, which I don't know if he was a hotel guy, or Howard Johnson, a former Mets player. But no, this video isn't... I mean, it's not much to write home about. It's Howard Johnson in front of a camera walking around Howard shit. Jones. Howard died screwed up already. There we go. It's Hojo. It's uh, a decent video. I was trying to do you a favor. I know that we've got some listeners who are complaining because <laughs> you don't talk about the video. We specifically lay out the music video <laughs> section and then you're like eh, videos but the song this is it maybe um, maybe it should be one of these things where we talk either about the video or the song itself i i like i guess i, I well, attach more I, to the song than i do the video well in my mind uh a look inside of our process here i'm thinking you know after we get through about 25 years 25 yeah. episodes and, you know, without repeating years, we can't do music videos anymore. So no, we're we've, we've done TV shows once. So we're going to have to talk about best songs, worst songs, favorite songs. We'll have to, for most of these, we're literally going to have to pull one out of our asses to get through. Yeah. But we'll do it. So, but for now, we're talking about the videos. Yes. So my first video, my number five, is Dire Straits' Walk of Life. Oh, the best Dire Straits song, in my opinion. It's a good one. So I mean, good. we did talk about there's some problematic issues with, it's not called I Want My MTV, Money for Nothing. Yeah, Money, oh, money God, is there. Has some problematic parts that were played on the radio, and I'm glad we've come along. And that it. video was the MTV staple yeah. video, next to AHA. Well, the funny thing about that is, uh, I actually texted you about it the other night, is that I never knew that Money for Nothing was co-written by Sting. Sting of the Police. Yeah, how incredible and is that? And Sting, I think, probably post-controversy, because I'm not going to tell you what the lyrics are. You go look them up. You'll notice there's four lines in the song there's a couple other, I think, problematic references, but there's four particular lines in this song that are a problem. So you can look those up. I think after that became controversial, Sting was like, oh, no, I didn't write that song. All I had to do with it was the I Want My MTV part, which is genius for him to say because that's the iconic part of that song. Yeah. Anyway, that's not the song I picked. I picked Walk of Life. So do you remember the video for Walk of Life? I don't remember it much. It's a sports highlight video. Is it really? It's literally the band performing, but that's just like, it's cut with Larry Bird, Roger Clemens, a lot of Dallas Cowboys. And then after like a minute, maybe it just becomes sports bloopers. So it's literally sports highlights. Then every once in a while you see the band performing. And I don't think I've seen a music video like this before or after, 
But this is the pro or was the prototype format for sports highlight packages for a while. If you watch this music video, it just looks like any sports highlight film. It's weird because I wouldn't associate this song with a sports highlight package. So at the beginning, they are doing this like duality where the band is walking up through the tunnel to go on stage. But then you see athletes like Larry Bird or the Dallas Cowboys walking through the tunnel to take the field. So they must fancy themselves as being the same. But yeah, it's super weird. It's just sports highlight, sports highlight, sports highlight. It's it's odd because I associate that song with the movie Space Camp. I don't know if you've ever I, seen Space yeah. Camp. It's in it. Yeah, I have two copies of Space Camp on VHS. Tate Donovan shout out. But this this song is also in Ants or Bugs Life. One of them. I don't know. I, I've seen Ants, ironically. So, that's my number five. My number four legendary video actually ties into a movie we covered back in the first season, Cocktail. Robert Palmer, yeah. Addicted to Love. Yes. Your atypical, bleached out pastel color, models who are pantomiming guitars, heavy red lipstick, and Robert Palmer being badass. Now, this was the first one, right? This was the first one. Then it was Simply Irresistible. Yeah, this one got a lot of traction. This is blew up because Robert Palmer came from Power Station. He came from the Power Station. Not in re- He didn't work at the Power Station. I'm going to write a song called Addicted to Love. He was a member of the group called Power Station. This song is amazing. The, the, everybody knew of Robert Palmer, but this was his first solo, John. But you look at the models in this video, your typical 80s models, and it just it worked out brilliantly. And as we saw in one of our favorite movies that we covered, Cocktail, check out all of season one right now on Apple and Spotify, mind you. But you see them behind the bar singing yeah. this song. It's, it's, the it's fucking where he, best. Tom Cruise has master control over the restaurant stereo. Yes. And when they get to the chorus, he turns it down and then the crowd sings it and then he turns it up and then he turns it down. Oh, now, so good. I, like I said, this video got a lot of traction because those dancing girls, I think there's still people going as that for like Halloween. It's perfect. All of 80s parties, you dress as that. And it's, it's, they didn't try once to make it look like they knew what the hell they no. were doing either. They just had to look pretty. I, a lot of them probably don't even speak English. Like they're just like kind of swaying back and forth as he sings. Yeah, I mean, iconic video for sure. Number four. My number four is Cinderella, Nobody's Fool. Oh, in my opinion, underrated. In my opinion, one of the better songs that came out of the hair metal genre. The video, nothing special, which is a big term of you. <laughs> but I picked the video for two reasons. Number one, when I was in college, I worked in our school's audio lab. Shout out to anybody I worked with, Pete. Tony, Steve, any of the Matt Patteray, any of these guys that we worked with in the audio lab. So ultimately, our job was to sit in this uh, studio. There were computers. There were audio recording studios. There was a huge record library. And we had some uh, XL1, Canon XL1 cameras under lock and key. And you were in there in case anybody would ever need to check out equipment or anything like that. In three years of working in the audio lab, I never once actually had anyone sign out anything. I don't think anybody ever signed out. Not once. So the audio lab was a hangout for all of the kids in my major. There were couches. There were tables. You could do your homework. I hate to say that I skipped some classes because we'd get into heated games on like We'd have we have PlayStation there, and we'd play NHL. We'd play NBA Live. AV was just a study hall that you didn't study at. It yes, was a wreck. Exactly. It was a wreck. It I was mean, wreck time. We were and we were hoodlums. Like we did a lot of of stuff in there. And I remember one of our professors had like a mental break because they put her office attached to the audio lab, 
and we'd have inappropriate conversations and one day she just like came in and lost her mind was like do you talk like that at home and it's like well obviously the answer is yes well fuck yeah i do (laughs) we had developed a game and i won't talk about this too much because i do have a second part to this story but we developed this game called hit billy we hung oh jesus a billy squire record on the wall we was it rock me tonight i don't remember which one it was but there was a billy squire record on the wall and originally the primitive version of the game we put a line on the floor we took a microphone pop filter which was like a nerf ball and you had to throw it and hit billy you hit billy you got points well then it became like there was a little picture above billy and if you hit that you got 10 points if you hit billy anywhere on his body it was five points you hit the record on the border as one point. And then way the fuck off to the right was a Cinderella record. If you hit the Cinderella record, you lost automatically. And you played the game in like innings. We actually, somebody did their final project in my class on Hit Billy. They made a documentary about Hit Billy. We had standings. We had records. We had like, you know, Hall of Fame. I mean, it, we took it way too seriously. We were college kids. But the Cinderella record that hung on the wall, if you hit it automatically, you just lost. Because Cinderella, as a band, they're like, they were the most dolled up, like, feminine looking band. It's, a, you know, cock rock. Yes, exactly. So, my number two story is I found a Cinderella t shirt at a thrift store. It had, you know, the, them on the, on the shirt, big pink and blue font. And I don't know how many years ago it was, but I had a Halloween party at my apartment. We had a few of these. And you were there. Oh, is that the one where I got blacked out drunk and my ex yelled at me? Yeah, that one. I can't remember if I planned on giving the shirt away as a gag or if she spilled something on her clothes, but your ex ended up with the shirt. You also gave me a stone cold stunner in your apartment. Yeah, a lot of people (laughs) got stone cold stunners that night. But your ex ended up with this Cinderella shirt. That's right. I was Lloyd Lloyd Dobler. Yes, you were Lloyd Dobler. And she uh, wore the shirt. You got very drunk. You were drinking some uh, Incredible Hulk concoctions. But in the end, I think I feel worse because that particular Cinderella shirt is highly sought after. Is it really? I It literally resells for close to $300. She get a hold of the ex and be like, hey, you still yeah. got that shirt? People and these people who pay a lot of money to look like they make no money, they buy that type of shirt. But that particular Cinderella shirt is very rare, very sought after. People pay close to $300 for that shirt, which your ex has somewhere. Well, side story, later on that night, at roughly 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, as I'm laying in bed with her, I'm getting the spins from that Incredible Hulk concoction. And most of you are like, what is that? When you get drunk, you just start mixing shit in a cup and it turned green. I drank it. Yeah. Whatever. So I start getting real sick. She ends up yelling at me and kicking me out of bed. I had to sleep on the fucking couch with the dog. Oh. So that happened. And she has a $300 BA shirt. Yeah. So go figure. My number three is one of those songs that I prefer the, as I call the Kmart Muzak version of it you would hear it at any kmart anywhere in the country but the original song was starship sarah wow sarah i'm gonna tell you if you love the movie twister we did a watch along once again referencing back to season one you'll love the music video i did research starts out as a black and white video looks like to be in the 1930s farmland america iowa tying it into captain kirk because that's where he was born at one point a twister hits and the lead singer of starship who kind of looks like the lead singer of Air Supply who wants to look like Dudley Moore. That's the easiest <laughs> way I can do it. Look at it now. Google the guy. He literally looks like, and I'm talking about the lead singer of Air Supply. Dudley Moore was huge in the late 70s, early 80s. I want to look like Dudley Moore without the alcohol problem. And this guy wants to look like the lead singer of Air Supply 
nowhere near an alcohol problem, but he kind of has cigarette hair, but whatever. This video is really cool. Very noir. A twister hits at one point. They end up, you know, reunited. Sarah, Sarah, no time is a good time for goodbye. So because Sarah ends up killed leaving. by a tornado. Get killed by a tornado. You need Dorothy. That's a great video. But if, if you go into any department store, if you like dead mall videos like I do, you will hear a Muzak, which is somebody that nobody takes, has Muzak anymore. Nobody has Muzak. But if you guys don't know what Muzak is, it's literally taking a song, no lyrics, and kind of making you guys it vaporwave. Might know it as uh, elevator music. Yes, I mean, it, yeah, we. I've had some jobs. And, I mean, when I was younger, that had Muzak, and you know, at first you're like, God, this music sucks, and then by like two years into that job, looking forward to hearing whatever it is. But for some reason, the Sarah form of Muzak was always the best Muzak. Yeah. Yep. But this is a pretty decent video. With the lead singer looking like Air Supply, looking like Dudley Moore, number two. I, I don't three. ever remember hearing a music version of my number three, which was the Bangles, Walk Like an Egyptian. Uh, Susanna Hoffs. Yeah. Mostly just the band performing, but re what really sells it for me is all of the suckers that they convinced to do the actual Walking Like an Egyptian, which uh, Jim can see, like you yeah. remember the motion. And it, it's like a bunch of Coke Freak, Coke Freak Wall Street yuppies, meter maids, like dweebs on the street doing this walk like an egyptian move and it's like ridiculous you think they nobody showed it to their kid shit. oh man but the video is pretty rad all the girls in uh the Bengals are awesome and i have a good feeling that egyptians never ever walked like that never no it I was mean, a stereotype I, yeah it's a stereotype because of the uh, hieroglyphics. hieroglyphics yeah so they turn it into a dance Notice in the video, they don't do the dance themselves. Nope. You don't see any of the bangles doing that shit. Because you, you know, Susanna's like, I'm not lowering you see myself. These, these construction workers doing it. You see these yuppies and, you know, dudes in suits on crosswalks in New York are doing this and they look really dumb. How about you walk like an Egyptian? And I'll walk like a bushwhacker. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Sheep Okay. So my number two, we're going double the fill here, everybody. So at number two, Phil Collins off my favorite album, No Jack Required. Take me home. Oh, five hour, five hours should be five hours, five minutes and 38 seconds of an amazing song and a video of just Phil Collins going across the country. And you see these iconic spots. Like at one point, he's singing this in front of the Hollywood sign. At one point, he's in New York City. It's just because he wants to be taken home. But it has one of the best. I would like to say you buy a Casio keyboard. And it has automatic beats on it. Yeah. This is one of the automatic beats. I'm sorry. I'm prejudiced. I think Phil Collins has one of the most amazing voices ever. He's my favorite of all time. I don't deny it. I love this song. It is one of the best. And it kind of encapsulates the 80s for me as well. You know, whenever you're away from home and you just want to be brought home, Cue this song up. Phil Collins, take me home. Number two. My number two, not Phil Collins, Falco, Rock Me Amadeus. Oh, the, the weird Falco. Only German language song to top the U.S. Billboard Top 200. It's uh, Mozart meets the 1980s, high society juxtaposed against like some bikers and stuff. Uh, Falco died in an automobile accident at the age of 40, which is neither here nor there. Yeah. But yeah, just listen to this. It's like in and out of English and German. But I, I want to do like, I wish it, we had like a Patreon because I would, I would like show. Oh, what the hell? The, oh. the audience, the Guatimac Blanco. Dance, oh, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, that I do to this song. It's just, it's got this beat that you just want to do like 
this one thing too but he's dressed up like a coked out mozart yeah he's got like spray painted uh white afro or something mm-hmm. but yeah just uh ridiculous ridiculous song nothing much to say about it but watch the video it's fun so my number one once again i said phil collins but this time he's the front man of genesis it's invisible touch i was gonna mention it when you picked your number two because i want to talk about it and I was like, if you don't pick Invisible Touch, so you go ahead and you talk about it. Well, this video literally takes place in one room. They are literally just singing at somebody. And at one point, Phil Collins proceeds to pantomime sing. Mind you, you're lip syncing. He just has the weirdest fucking faces oh, that he's, he's singing. And it used to be the, the wallpaper on my phone. Yeah. Just will so film the video, this video starts with a documentary crew or something, a photographer taking a picture of Phil. But when they pan around to Phil, you see Phil's actually taking a picture of them as well. And it's like, uh, so he jokes around and then he gets behind the drum set and he starts drumming. But as soon as like the song, as soon as there's lyrics, (laughs) he grabs his drumsticks, he stops (laughs) drumming. And he sings with the drumstick like a maniac Uh. into the drumsticks. And like you said, the, the thing to take away from this video is the facial expressions. They're over the top. He's a maniac. I love Phil. Like, I think even like. If you go on YouTube and you look for Invisible Touch, I think the screen grab is crazy face, like him <laughs> snarling at someone. Looks like he's trying to rip a fat and fart. when you listen to the song, please do your homework. Listen to the song and sing the chorus as he's just a halfback running for a touchdown. Because <laughs> that's not the words. What? But he's just a halfback running for a touchdown. It's like Bon Jovi living on a prayer. It's yeah. either fishing on a pier or ladies' underwear. Yeah, I really like he's just a halfback running for a touchdown. He's just a halfback running for a touchdown. See? It works. I love it. It works. My number one, a video we talked about, I think, last week. Peter Cetera, Glory of Love. Ah, Ella DeGeneres. I can't tell if he's 30 or 60 in this video. He's he, 80. He looks like Ellen DeGeneres. And he's in a white room, which is like a like a green screen type deal and out shots of, of the karate kid 2 yes out of the windows he sees clips of karate kid 2 which is the horrible karate this kid song movie. was obviously on that soundtrack but it'd be funnier if the song wasn't on the soundtrack and he just really liked karate kid 2 he just, and he, he just, just admired daniel just russo hey, I watched this great movie about... See him chop that ice? This guy chopped some ice in a bar, <laughs> and they did. Uh, they took care of some bonsai trees. And I just... I, can we put that in the video, please? Oh. So that that's my number one. And I, I, wanted, I made a note. I checked my phone while we're recording these, and that's where I read my... You know, any notes I've taken. And we've done a bad job at squeezing in some honorable mentions. I know that in our earlier episodes, they did tend to cause this section to drag a bit. But I do want to mention a couple this week. Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer is a very iconic one. Yeah. Steve Winwood Higher Love. Eddie Money Take Me Home Tonight. Eddie Money looks like David Lee Roth sort of in that video. I would like to say The Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston. Yes. My mom had this album on cassette and loved this song. Uh, our old friends that we, if you go back and listen to our back catalog, as Jim mentioned a couple times, and you're or you're with us from the beginning, you'll know that we talked a lot about Aerosmith in the early episodes. Oh, a lot. So Run DMC featuring Aerosmith, Walk This Way. For a minute there, I thought you were going to say Emerson, Lake, and Powell with Touch and Go. No, wasn't going to say that one. Uh, Pet Shop Boys, West End Boys. You mean West End Girls. West End Girls. I make that mistake all the time. (laughs) Talking Heads, Wild Wild Life. Mr. Mister, is this love? Yeah, oh God, Mr. Mister. Of course, and two more. Mike and the Mechanics, All I Need is a Miracle. Another great song, Home Sweet Home, Motley Crue, and John Cougar Mellencamp, Rock. 
R-O-C-K in the USA. Yeah, that's a, a good one to play and manipulate the lyrics. That I always confuse with Bruce Springsteen. I always confuse Mellencamp and Springsteen growing up. With that said, put your hot dog down. Oh. Throw those nachos Wait, in which the garbage. One? Yeah. Put those nachos in the garbage. And Jim, let them know. Everybody back in the pool. So this movie was reviewed positively, and I think which was a bit of an anomaly for a Star Trek movie, mm-hmm. because it seems more often than not, these didn't really perform that well at the box office. No, this one actually did really well, yeah, though, shockingly. And, it, and I think that there was some uh, different strategy on how they marketed this one, as opposed to the previous ones, which kind of just was like, eh, if you like Star Trek, you'll see it. This is the common man Star Trek movie. Yeah, and like I said, I haven't seen Star Trek mm-hmm. movies, but I watched this one and I enjoyed it. So where does this fall in the hierarchy of Star Trek movies for you? So if we're counting the original six, which is one through six, the motion picture, Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage Home, Final Frontier, and Undiscovered Country, the formula was always being the even number movies are always the best. So two, four, and six. One, not saying one wasn't bad. The older I've gotten, the more I appreciate one. Three with the Spock story is good. Star Trek five, don't ever watch it. It is <laughs> it is the William Shatner directed pilot. This is you told me they fight God. They fight God. They seriously fight an evil Jesus. That's what they but fight. This was directed by Shatner. Five was directed by Shatner. So Shatner, I could see having his ego. I have an idea (laughs) where I fight God. There you go. Yeah, there you go. That's my Shatner Uh, impression. Did you see the newer ones? Yes, I saw. Next Gen had Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. Okay. The best ones out of those were First Contact. That's where they fight the Borg. Then there was the reboot, which is the J.J. Abrams one, which in big time Star Trek fans, JJ takes a lot of liberties and it kind of pisses us a lot off when yeah, it comes I mean, to I, technical stuff. I know stuff. enough about Star Trek, despite not watching it, that like Khan is a big, you know, and then in the. Never should have happened. The second JJ Abrams Star Trek movie, they have a villain who's Benedict Cumberbatch and they actually do like a twist where he's, he's Khan. Well, initially they said, we're going to do our spin on the Wrath of Khan. Then. At the ninth hour, they decided, nah, we're not going to do it. And then at the last second, they put it right back in and said, no, he's con. Bullshit. I I can't think of an appropriate, if they did this with another franchise, because like Star Wars, they'd be like if they rebooted Star Wars with new characters or the same characters, and then they had some other villain, and then they were like, oh, he's Darth Vader. Yeah. It's the same premise. It's weird. It's weird that they did that. And then there still might be a new Star Trek four movie coming out. You know, possibly. I, I know you're not as big as of a Tarantino fan. Uh, I, I do not like I Tarantino. I love Tarantino movies. And I just out of, and I, and I don't love Star Trek the way that you do. So out of sheer curiosity, I'm like, man, I would love to see a Tarantino Star Trek movie just to see what it is. Now, what's going on right now with like Star Trek Discovery Star Trek Picard, it's on CBS All Access because you have to buy a subscription for that. Like J.J. Abrams and his guys, like Akiva Goldsman. Yeah, I can't. What I can't remember the one guy's name. I kind of taken it out of my my head. Not Damon Lindelof, the other guy. It's kind of taking liberties with Star Trek to the point it pisses me off. There's an episode in Star Trek Picard where they just say fuck, just dropping fuck bombs left and right, and it doesn't feel like Star Trek. Plus, Star Trek was always made to be hopeful. Like in the 60s, it was the first interracial kiss ever on TV between Kirk and Uhura. You had a Russian guy. You had a Japanese guy. You never saw that before. And it was always at the end of every episode, there was that, hey, things are going to be better. Things are going to be better. The newer stuff is just dark, dark, dark. 
and then they try to retcon canon just to please everybody. The new stuff, I just do not like, except the animated show, pretty good, because it stays true to canon, which is great. Well, we were talking about J.J. Abrams, and that automatically can transition us into logic. (laughs) Now, I I don't know how you feel about this, but since I haven't seen this, you've seen this a million times. That's why I said for you, it's perfect. Why don't I go ahead and just kind of fire some questions at you? Or and we can we can go that route and then if there's anything left after that you know you go ahead and I will do it. the best I can to help you. So the premise of this movie revolves around specifically whales. A probe is going to destroy the Earth. They're making some whale noises. They need Two whales. whales. Yeah. Why whales? Like why do aside from that? Aside from why whales, which was probably an LDS fantasy that one of them had. <laughs> Besides whales, why, when they retrieve the whales, does it fix everything? First part of that question, I believe in 1986, remember Greenpeace? Yes. Huge movement. Let's clean up the oceans, make a better planet. At the time, whaling was a serious issue. Whales were going extinct left and right. I think like Leonard Nimoy and the writers of this movie wanted to bring light to the fact that this is a serious issue. We need to start protecting this planet and saving the species of this planet. I believe that's why they used whales. The whole creation of using a whale probe still blows my mind. In advanced culture, you haven't heard from a certain animal in 300 years. So you send an exploratory ship to go, why the hell did we lose contact? Yeah. And which th- is weird. there's another thing. We don't see these aliens. No, we know nothing about them. It looks like like a cigarette. Or like a, it's just like a long cigarette. Yeah, like a long. Spray. It looks like a paper towel roll or foam, like spray painted with like in with shimmery. Yeah, black it's like paint. a black cylindrical object just heading for Earth. We don't see the aliens inside. We don't hear anything they said. For all we know, these aliens, whoever they are, could have sent this probe just to be like, "Shit, man, you remember whales? They were doing some LDS, and they were like, <laughs> hey, you guys remember whales?'" Yeah, those whales are crazy. Whatever happened to them? I thought you were going to start going into Eddie Murphy there for a second. <laughs> Man, you see the whales? Shit. Uh, so they send a probe to Earth to find whales. It's going to destroy the Earth unless they find them. And they do. And then that was like a big thing for me is like, how are the how are they going to transmit these whale signals back to the probe? Like they're going to microphone them or something. But the whales literally, as they were swimming, decided to tilt upwards and start going in the song yeah. and that was enough to train yeah they go vertical like kirk's pizza <laughs> uh so the probe's pointing towards the ocean and then the whales make the songs and then they just probe, the goes probe turns around and, and goes away the other thing when the whales are taken without jillian knowing the whales are taken from san francisco to alaska released into alaska they are instantly in a whaling poached. ship this ship has already like taken measures to poach these whales a giant like a harpoon i mean spear. i don't expect you to answer that one yeah but it's just a big logic issue it's like these whales have been in the ocean for an hour i mean i don't know how long the flight is from san francisco to alaska probably not that long probably not maybe like in two hours but maybe it was hour like the night before so they rode first class after six o'clock at least the whales were taken and i don't know what time this is the next day but you know at most it's not 24 hours i'm thinking it's early it looks early morning it yeah. looks like 7 8 yeah. a.m so this is 13 14 hours but like they don't just drop them from the sky into the ocean like they i don't know that that's a weird one it's it's for a plot that's I mean, why i do have a small one that i've always wondered so you do see a little scene where Sulu starts talking to this guy who's working on a Huey 204 helicopter. Hi, 
ship. Huey 204, isn't it? Right on. You fly? Oh, here and there. I flew something similar back in my academy days. All right. And this must be old stuff to you. Old, yes, but interesting. You mind if I ask you a few questions? Do it. And they're shooting a shit. He's like, is this a Huey 204? And he's, yeah, why? Oh, I know about them from, you know, here and there. Rode one of these back in my academy days. And they somehow he just hijacks it. Yeah. You they just see him. It. He just has it. You just see him with one of the sides of the massive aquarium they're putting in the Klingon bird of prey. That's it. Somehow he figured it out. And then Sulu makes a comment like, as they're better ready to yeah, go back home. I'm used to my Huey. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how this thing worked. Got used to a Huey. Uh, That's which it, is weird. one I always had. So when I was doing some research for this, I couldn't avoid spoilers completely because I was just trying to put together my information for the podcast. And the biggest one that jumped right off the page at me, Jillian is a doctor in 1986. Citation biologist. She's a citation. Citation. She works at the library as well. She, she does citations. Yeah, whatever. She's a, crust, <laughs> she's a crustacean. She, <laughs> she did LDS. Yes. So she's a doctor, 1986, San Francisco. She has brought 300 years into the future. And I don't want to say brought because she willingly goes. So, so she has nobody there to care about her. She has nobody there to care sad. about her. So she grabs, like Kirk tries to leave her behind, but she grabs onto him as he's uh, beaming. Beam, yeah, as he's beaming. And she ends up on the ship and they, she's like, who else is going to watch these whales? Good point. So they bring her 300 years into the future. And I mean, I have a couple issues. How do they explain that back in 1986 that this lady's just vanished from the face of the earth? Yeah. Two, which is a second logic point, who's going to take care of her beat to shit truck that she shouldn't be driving because she is a doctor. She probably makes a decent salary. Even in 86 She drives like a beat up spray painted truck. Okay, let's break this down. Do you think even in 1986 money, as a cetacean biologist working at we're going to assume is a world-renowned institute. Well, yeah, they said it's the only one of its kind. Because they raised two humpback whales from when they were babies. She's got to make at least, what, 40 to 45 a year in 86 money? I would say more money? than that. I would say more than that. But I can't afford more than a $400 shitty S10? Yeah, because my understanding is that she's like the, probably one of the only doctor, like specific doctor like yeah. this. So I would say she Pro- makes a lot more money than she should be driving. 75? 75 to 100? So, but she, she grabs on the Kirk, she's taken in space, and then it's like even more logic opens up for me because she she's okay. So the crew has to face trial for their crimes from the previous events of the other movies, and she's there because ultimately the charges are dropped because they saved Earth. So she's there. She was part of the crew that did that. She's sitting amongst. All these aliens doesn't bat an eye. Andorians, Vulcans, Klingons. Does yeah. not bat an eye. She's like shaking some of their hands. And then her and Kirk kind of just say goodbye. She's like, oh, yeah, I got a job. Like, I don't need you. I'll see you around the galaxy. And here's the thing. They never talk. Unless it's in novels that I'm unaware of, you never see or hear from her ever again. Uh, yeah, I... I don't know. What would she be doing, you think? Okay, she said she was assigned to a science vessel. Wait a minute. Where are you going? You're going to your ship. I'm going to mine. Science vessel. I got 300 years of catch-up learning to do. You think she'd want to enter Starfleet Academy? 
It would make sense yeah, for her to do that. Yeah, she doesn't have to go to Academy. She just literally gets a job, board another ship. Which would have to be a Federation starship, which you're just not going to be... I mean, are you going to have to go into elementary school again? I, so there is. that's an excellent logic point. It's crazy. It's, it's just absolutely crazy that this lady comes... She has to have someone... I mean, she has that dweeb from the the aquarium. Bob. Yeah, she has Bob. She slapped the shit out of him. Yeah, so, but she comes 300 years into the future. Bunch of technology she's never seen. Bunch of species and... No Michelob. Creatures, no Michelob. She's got to drink that, what is it called? Sciatica juice. Sciatica. Synthahol. Sciatica juice. There you go. Drain my sciatic. Yeah, I want to drink it. Uh... Yeah, so that, to me, that's the biggest logic point is the lady brought 300 years into the future, and it's just fine. She has no issues with it whatsoever. She's not surprised. She's not blown away. She has no questions. She's just, she's good. Yeah, she's very status quo. Anything left you want to talk about in the logic section? It's just that that Sulu scene, and the one thing that all kind of needles me a bit in this movie is when they finally land the cloak Klingon vessel in that park in San Francisco, you're going to hear the beaming. You audibly hear it, but nobody acknowledges hearing it. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There is when the ship comes in, the starship, to rescue the whales as the poachers. The poachers try to fire this, like, big harpoon cannon, and they hit something. Yep. But they don't know what they hit. But it's like, before that even happens, the starship whooshes over the top of the... You would notice a cavitation of wind. Just because they're invisible doesn't mean that they also don't affect... I mean, maybe it's future science I don't know about, but they're invisible sound, vision, you know, wind, anything. They bring nothing. You would get a gust of wind and go, what the hell was that? Yeah. Definitely. Every invisibility movie I've ever seen, I assume that you could still be heard. You can still touch objects. You just can't be seen. Yeah, so I, I agree. Would say the same science. I actually thought you would have more logic issues. But then no. again, if this was more of a Star Trek, Star Trek movie, I think this would be a, a 30 minute segment. I do, too, because yeah. I think I'd ask more Star Trek centric questions, because obviously there's a great deal of history with Star Trek. So I, I know that I would have more questions. But with this particular one, it just mostly revolves around the plot convenient stuff like, you know, whales. Why whales? Weird. And Jillian being fine, just traveling 300 years in the future, you know, no hangups about that. So that's that's pretty much all I've got. In a way, I kind of want to know her backstory and wonder why she has nobody there. Parents die. Yeah. There's no love interest. Yeah, no one. I'm assuming Nothing. I would I would understand the point of having no kids. She's she's wrapped up in her job. I get that. But I'd like to know there's got to be at least somebody. You think she might have banged her boss? I don't know. No, she's a she's a good looking woman. Like yeah, there's I'd, yeah yeah with a good job. I'd go get a Michelob maybe with it's her the truck. Maybe it's it's her pizza taste. I don't know. Large mushroom pepperoni with extra onions and a Michelob, please. Yeah, our pizza's pretty gross. Pretty shit. With that said, I think that wraps up our logic section. Once again, pool sceners, thank you for checking out the pod this week. Remember, if you want to know what's going on. Any updates, any exciting things coming around the corner, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Pool Scene Podcast, also at Pool Scene Pod on the Twitter. Also, if you want to drop us a line, send us an email at Pool Scene Podcast at gmail.com. Any movie ideas, we have some amazing movies coming up. If there's a movie you want us to cover, let us know. You're on the journey with us, and now, Back to Kevin. All right. What is the legacy of this movie? It's kind of a loaded question. Considering the legacy of Star Trek goes all the way back to 66. (sighs) 
I think if anything, with the legacy of this movie at the time, and it's still kind of to this day, should raise environmental issues about saving the Earth's oceans. Yeah. Agreed. As we look at two figures from Sequest. Yeah, we we still aren't taking things seriously. Not at all. Global warming and saving the ocean and not littering and so on, but that's for another <laughs> podcast. 34 years later, here we I are. I will say, with this movie, I didn't know it existed until recently. So, legacy-wise for me, I can't say, like... The legacy for me is this is the Star Trek whale movie. That's what everybody thinks. It's the whale movie. Yep. Because when I heard about it, that's what piqued my interest because I was like, wait a minute, there's a movie in Star Trek where they have to rescue whales. It's just crazy. So I will say, as far as Star Trek, if you were to ask me as someone who doesn't know very much, what's the legacy of like Star Trek? What's the first thing, you know, if I say Star Trek, you say, I think a con. I mean, yep. like Khan's probably the biggest Star Trek thing, Wrath of Khan. I think it's Shatner's acting on the TV show. I mean, that's, I think, a Spock. I think I Live Long and Prosper. I think of the, the hand signal. Picard going engaged. Yes. Picard's awesome. Mm -hmm. But I will say, and I think of the Ferengis, and yep. I think of the Klingons. There were supposed to be, ironically enough, the Ferengis were supposed to be the main bad guys in Star Trek The Next Generation until the writers and the producers said, they're, they come off too goofy, and the audience just said, we don't take them seriously. Yeah, yeah, and I see that. I They're going to be the Klingon replacements. Yeah, they just basically look like mm -hmm. Klingons. They look like they have a... They have the big ears. An elephant ear on their forehead or something. Yeah, ooh. Yeah, so that's, that's the, the legacy for this movie for me. It's the Star Trek whale movie. Also, like for Kevin and for all of you out there that have not seen Star Trek, or you're kind of getting into it, it's a great introductory Star Trek movie to get into without... Really knowing much of the back plot. Yeah, I, mean, I, I could say you could definitely watch this and it wouldn't ruin anything for me if I wanted to start literally anywhere. If I wanted to go back to the TV show, if I wanted to start at the first movie. You don't even need to watch Star Trek 5. Just skip it. Go to 6. 6 is excellent. Yeah, so I, yeah, I think that definitely was a good introduction. And it kind of makes me want to get... I want to watch The Next Generation and I want to watch... Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, all in all, is probably the best writing and story arc of any Star Trek series. The older I've gotten, the more and more I appreciate Deep Space Nine, which might be my favorite series right now, by far. Go back and watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Some of you out there that if you have watched Star Trek or are interested to watch Star Trek, drop us a line on our Facebook or Instagram or even an email. And let us know what your favorite Star Trek movie is, or if you have any Star Trek questions that I could personally answer, send us a line. We'll help you out. Why don't you send them to me, and I will try and answer them. Dude, I would love for you to answer me like, Kevin, can you tell me the shield modulation of the USS Enterprise in Star Trek I'm Generations? Sound like uh, old school with Will Ferrell, where he like, blacks out, <laughs> um, or Billy Madison, yes, where he uh, talks about the puppy book, and everybody's dumber for having listened to it. Yeah, you guys send us some Star Trek questions. I'll answer them on YouTube. Yeah, it'll be fun as hell. Yeah. So uh, with that said, next week I think we're gonna keep we'll, tight to the chest. Okay. Well, I'll give you a hint, and we'll put a hint later on this week. It's gonna be a one-word hint. A what the next movie we're going to be covering actually two words roller coaster one that might, might have given it away yeah movie with a one word title yeah I tell you it doesn't it's not doubt with uh amy adams and meryl streep it's not that no one. it's not that we're not talking about that so. this is an amazing movie yes we're gonna be going we'll be going a little ahead in time from 1986 yeah so there yeah. we go all right everyone thank you for joining us again I think one of you out there probably has the nickname Deep Space Nine for one reason or another. 
Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> what the hell does yeah. that mean? If someone out there has the nickname Deep Space Nine. If any of you pool sceners have the nickname Deep Space Nine, you can be our official chat moderators when we start up a chat when we you do can, this live go to, eventually. Go on Reddit, on our Reddit page. and uh, Scener Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and if your name's Deep Space Nine... Uh, anyway, yeah, thank you everyone for joining us. You especially, Deep Space Nine. I'm glad you listened. We will see you next week for a movie with a one word title. Yes. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Bye, full seeders. <laughs>